magic. If I can do it, what's your excuse? What's holding you back or what's stopping you? Go on and do it or what's there to lose? If I can do it, what's your excuse? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the blind blogger, Maxwell Ivy, and this is another episode of What's Your Excuse? Where I hope to help you overcome the excuses that are holding you back by sharing conversations with you. Talks I have with people who have overcome adversity or thrived in spite of difficult life circumstances. People who have struck out on their own and started unusual businesses. People who have real world tested actionable advice. Or people who I personally find interesting or inspiring. And you can find the podcast at theblindblogger.net. You can also find What's Your Excuse on all the major podcast players. And you can ask Alexa, Google, or Siri to just play What's Your Excuse? So I hope y'all will check out the podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I've recently started advising companies on accessibility, mostly in the digital space. So if y'all want to be more inclusive and take advantage of a large untapped audience of people with disabilities, an audience I might add is very brand loyal and will advocate for companies that make us feel welcome, then please reach out to me through the contact form. So I want to thank my sponsors. Uh, first, Blueberry.com. They provide the podcast hosting for What's Your Excuse, also for Shredding for Gold, and also for the What's Your Excuse Network, which you can find at wyexcuse.com. And without their continued financial and te- technical support, we wouldn't be able to keep doing all this great work and sharing all this inspiring content with you. And then secondly, createmyvoice.com. That's Chip and Pam Edwards. They provide voice branding strategies for people. Uh, they help create the invocation, which is how you tell Alexa or Google to find whatever business it is that you're looking for. So if you don't claim your invocation, you give someone else the opportunity to claim your traffic on these wireless devices. So I strongly advise you give Chip a call or reach out to him for his contact form and have a conversation about your voice branding. All right. So today, I don't do this often, but for this particular instance, I think it is definitely warranted. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Y'all have seen uh, Anthony and Jason on my podcast before. We talked about their wonderful friendship that started in college. We talked about how they've helped each other uh, through Anthony's back injury and Jason's experience and and having to live with obsessive compulsive disorder they are award-winning filmmakers who have won awards all over the world for their documentary films that they've made so far like ordinary people and straight off the canvas which is about how the blind create appreciate and teach art a wonderful film that you can find uh on their social media accounts So they've recently started a film company called Video Take Productions. They're in the production part or actually the the filming of their next movie, which is called Playing Hopscotch with My Brain. It'll be all about Jason's experiences with obsessive compulsive disorder, how that has affected his life, the life of Anthony and the people around him, and how he has managed to overcome it and find a way to live with it. And y'all can find these wonderful guys at Twitter, 
Twitter.com slash HopscotchWBrain. We'll also have the link to their YouTube video that we'll be showing you in a little bit here because besides telling you their story and telling you about their movie, they're here to, to raise some money, y'all. We want to get them some funds so they can finish this next great film and inspire a lot of people who are living with mental health challenges like OCD and who need more help. So, Anthony, Jason, thank you so much, and welcome back to What's Your Excuse? Thank you for having us. Um, thank you, know, you for having us, man. It's so great to be back. We're, 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 we're a company now, Studio Take Productions. <laughs> we're official now. Well, you know, that wasn't where I was planning on going first, but talk a little bit about it. How does it feel? Does it does it make you feel more positive about the future of your work now that you've taken steps to be more professional about the way you approach it? Definitely. I mean, you know, when we were first going through all the steps to make this business uh, legitimate, filling out all the paperwork and everything, it it was it was kind of hard to believe we had made it this far, you know. I mean, I knew we would eventually, but it's kind of surreal, you know, seeing something that we had always dreamed about um, become a reality. Um, it was it's it's indescribable, you know. And then to see it officially on paper, yes, you are a recognized business, um, is really it, it's it's really something to behold. Um. Basically, with with your help, Max, we uh, we had an amazing 2021. Uh, we have been uh, basically on podcasts all around the world, uh, reaching audiences that we never would have uh, reached without Twitter and social media. So I'm grateful for you in our journey. Um, I basically, I basically. Um, had a very difficult uh, winter. This is the worst winter of my life. Uh, we could talk more about that a bit later, but I felt before my, the winter happened that there was nowhere else to go. There was no other option but to but to make this official because we made this we made this film you know, in order to distribute it and to be able to show it to an audience and the task of, let's be frank here, the task of of distributing the film is not easy. And when you go through the process, we had an amazing 2021 in terms of distributing the film to to our target audience, but uh, we want to be able to uh, see some some funds uh, from the film because it it was many years of labor uh, from us. So um, while surreal, it was a necessary step for us to legitimize the film as a business uh, with a legitimate budget. So... It was just a formality. We've always been a we we've always been a company. Now it's just formal. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So y'all have been living together for years, and now you're finally married. I got you. Um, so uh, I think that where we really need to go here next is uh, 
a lot of people, and not just COVID, even before COVID, during the financial crises of 2000 and 2008, a lot of people were doing great work. They felt like they were doing everything right. And then for some reason, out of, out of no uh, actions of their own, they find that everything they've been working on was either gone or at least had to be put off to the side for a while because their financial situation, their, their, their health situation just wouldn't allow them to continue chasing their dreams. So I really go back to when uh, you, Jason, first discovered that you had OCD. And I imagine you experienced it for quite a while before you understood what it was and could start doing something about it. Well, um, I've always had, um, I've, I've always displayed rituals, what, what, are, what are called rituals since childhood. Um, I would have certain things I would do. Um, for example, I'd always sleep with a Bible next to me. Um, I would always um, put my glasses near the Bible, never on top. Like I always have to make sure that they're in a certain position um, before I go to bed. Little, little things like that since childhood have always been with me. Um, and it really didn't become out of control. It really wasn't a problem until I hit about 26 years old. And um, I just finished grad school and um, I was heading out, I was venturing out into the world and really trying to flex my, you know, my production muscles and everything I had just, everything I just learned in grad school. And I was really eager to go out there and really, you know, work towards, you know, get a better job, um, do pursue my dreams, everything. And it started just slowly, very slowly. I began repeating certain actions. I began feeling more anxious just out of nowhere. And I couldn't explain it. I didn't know what it was. And a lot of the anxiety came from not knowing what it was. Um, you know, one day it would just be, it would only happen for like about an hour. And I'd say, oh, that's weird. I'd never experienced anything like that. Then what? Then it be, one hour became two hours, then three. Then it would start lasting for a certain amount of time to the point where, you know, there are times I just didn't want to go to bed because it would interfere with me making up my bed or how I went to sleep. And um, I began developing insomnia because of it. And um, when it really got full-blown was when it was almost towards the end of the year around September is when it really exploded. Um, what had happened was my aunt had just passed away um, in Canada. And um, after my dad came back, um, I just had this really intense fear of death and anything related to death, even remotely sent me into an anxiety panic and I didn't know what it was. And, and like I said, a lot of the anxiety came from not knowing what I was experiencing. Um, I had seen um, my doctor, um, but I, you know, he wasn't a psychologist. So um, I went to a campus priest of ours. His name was father Paul Wood. And he directed me to visit a, therapist and the therapist had said oh i know what you have 
it's obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, but I, I am not qualified to treat it. I don't do behavioral therapy, which is something you'll most likely need. And so he recommended I go to Mount Sinai and, um, Mount Sinai was tough because you have to pay out of pocket. They do not take insurance. And I, I was very frightened. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't want to pay that. So, um, I decided, I decided to try a psychologist near me who I thought did behavioral therapy. Um, but it turns out that was not the case. He, um, he basically was just telling me, well, oh, you're having trouble getting dressed in the morning. Why don't you just get dressed? Why don't you just get over it? Why don't you just do it? Um, which was not the correct, which is not correct behavioral therapy. Um, so I decided to say, all right, you know what? It came down to when he had suggested to me and my family, he's like, look, I don't know if you really have OCD or not. Maybe you'll have to go to the psych ward in um, one of the hospitals here for about a week. It's not bad. <laughs> um, and spend some time. And we left and my family was in tears and I was in tears because I used to volunteer at a hospital. I used to deliver medication to the psych ward. I know just one day in there how bad it was from the outside looking in. And then to have to be committed there for a whole week was very frightening because at that point I was like, Oh my God, am I going to have to go into an asylum? You know, are they going to have to put me in a straitjacket? I mean, is this going to be like Cheech and Chong where I, I end up like chained to the, to the floor. <laughs> and I was, I was so scared and we decided to cut our losses. I had some money saved up. Let's just go to Mount Sinai. And it was tough because the first appointment he had to see me for two. My, I had a psychologist who saw me for two hours. It was about two thousand dollars for that visit alone, um, out of pocket. Yeah, and um, he sat down and he drew a timeline of my rituals and everything I was experiencing. And he, at the end of it, after listening to me very intently, he said, "You do have OCD." You have obsessive compulsive disorder. I recommend medication and behavioral therapy. And I asked him, do I have to go to the psych ward for anything else? And he said, I used to run a psych ward and you are not psych ward material. So I was so overjoyed to hear that. Um, and so I, I told him, all right, I'm okay with the medication, but can I have some time to think about the therapy? Because this is kind of going to change my world. These are rituals that have been with me since childhood. Um, some of them have just been with me for a very long time. Um, I really need to think this over. He's like, it's okay. Um, uh, take some time. And when I see you next week, you know, let me know your answer. And it was around this time I was uh, going shopping with my parents this, you know, that, that weekend. And I was just walking down the sidewalk with them. And after, I, I should say, at, while I was going through this nightmare of obsessive compulsive disorder, I kept praying. You know, I don't know how people feel about prayer. People have a lot of different opinions on it. But I was really crying and praying, you know, like, I need help, Lord. I really do. I can't do this on my own. And that day, I was walking down the sidewalk, and out of nowhere, 
I had a window of 15 to 20 minutes of complete freedom from anxiety. I felt anxiety, like my feeling of anxiety just dissipate. I'm talking like almost disappear. Don't know where it came from. Don't know how it happened. Don't know what caused it. I still believe it was a bit of a miracle this day, but I think it was God's way of telling me, you got to go to therapy. Don't be afraid. Do it. You have nothing to lose. Go for it. And I went to my doctor the next week and I said, I am ready. <laughs> he goes, well, you're, you sound very enthusiastic. I said, well, I had this experience. I don't know. I don't know what, what your, your interpretation is. I know. I don't know if you, I know it's not scientific. It may be a little more religious. And he goes, well, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, religious. Um, sometimes a lot of religious practices can help people through, you know, um, their, their trying times, especially with a mental illness. And so, um, he agreed to sign me up for behavioral therapy. And I started a week after. And it took me about a year and a half of phys- of not really like physical therapy, but just this emotional and behavioral therapy. I went through every fear, every ritual I had since childhood, since five years old. I went through it and I faced them all. And um, at the at Mount Sinai. They have um, a. They have someone sitting on their board. He invented a scale that measures anxiety. It's called the Weimar box. His name is Doctor Weimar, and it basically it basically measures your anxiety on a scale of one to forty. When I first went in there, um, of course, forty being severe, being the worst. When I went in there, I was a thirty-nine out of forty. When I left after therapy, I was a 14 out of 40. So, so uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I have to cut in because uh, he never told me that. Jason never told me that. So Jason and I, we we, we do stuff like this. We, we go on shows. We go on podcasts. We, we want to get ourselves out there in our work. And um, one day... Jason and I are, are going to the, uh, our local television station to promote the fact that Jason has just won an award. And he tells the, he tells the, the hosts what you just said. And I wish I had a video of it. Uh, it, it probably is still on YouTube, but the look on my face was like, wait, what? No, 28, <laughs> you said 29 out of, out of 39. 39. 39 out of 40, homeboy. That's what they would call purely obsessional. So that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about is, you know, a little bit about how it not only affected you, Jason, but how it affected Anthony and your family and your coworkers. And as they're, has there been any lasting effects with people outside your closest friends and family? Well, um, in terms of my family, um, it really impacted them um, because my parents, um, you have to understand, are from 
Guyana, South America. Um, it's next to Brazil. Um, and in that time, um, especially during the 50s and 60s, um, when they grew up there, um, even the 70s, they weren't familiar with mental illnesses a lot. And in Guyana, if you had a mental illness, they just threw you in the nut house. That was it. You just got thrown in there, and that, that was it. Godspeed. Um, especially during that time. And when I was going through my crisis, they were panicking. They were frightened to death because they didn't know what I was going through, and they didn't know how to help me. Um, and it's not their fault. Um, they tried. They really sacrificed a lot. Um, but they suffered through this dark time, um, I would say as much as I did with it and maybe even more so. Um, and I think, uh, even with my friends, um, I know with Anthony, um, at first, you know, I think we were, as Anthony was saying, we, he tried to get us to, he tried to get me to go to one of the local stations to drop off a copy of this film and I couldn't leave the damn house. You know, my, 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 my friend here, my friend here stepped up his game and he came up and he dropped it off for me, you know, and I always thank him for that. You know, um, he really helped me out during this crisis. And I had other friends too, um, who understood and talked with me through it and would just come over and just spend time, even, even if it was just sitting down with me. Um, and playing video games or something, they would spend time and help me through this. So, um, I would say that the impact it's had on my parents, um, they kind of are more aware of it now. And when it comes to issues of mental illness, especially if they hear about their friends or family suffering from it, they could say, I know what you're going through. I went through it with my son. Um, it's it's frightening and it took a lot of work and effort on our part um you know but i think they would agree with me when i say knowing its name is half the battle it really is half the battle um yeah i mean for me from my perspective uh 2012 was a very challenging year for me oh yeah you know, it was a really challenging year because I had a workplace accident um, that really affected me physically. And then, um, let's just face facts, Max. I hated my job. <laughs> you know, I, I and like I'm not. I'm. I. I could say it out loud. I hated my damn job. I hated the fact that I had to go back into work wearing the same shirt. After being injured on the job, it made me physically and mentally like sick. And, um, I didn't stop. Like, I, I never stopped to get therapy to be like, you know, this isn't uh, your, your level of hatred for this job is not healthy. <laughs> you know, like, that sounds like my brother's job. I hated that job, but yeah. I would not give them the satisfaction <laughs> of having me quit. I wouldn't give them the satisfaction of having me quit. 
and um, I'm not going to say the company's name. You know, you know, I you know who you are. You know who you are. And you know I will never buy your video game console. Anyway, um, at the time that I was going through the, the, what was at the time a really dark period of my life, like, I really held on to filming. And, like, I was driving my parents miserable because I was in severe pain. And I, I didn't really drive Jason crazy. Because Jason was like, oh, all right, no, I understand, man. Screw that company. And uh, so I said, all right, man, let, let's let's start the film. Um, let's start to film, um, you know, straight off the canvas. Because, you know, my mother said, you know, Anthony, I think it's time for you to get back into producing. And because... Uh, I was starting to lose my mind because of the pain. And um, so Jason says he has OCD and um, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Okay. You have OCD, get up, get out and, and meet up with me. I did not understand it. Um, So I always, so then he tells me we're going to make a film out of this. And I immediately realized that I'm going to be in this movie and that this movie needs a, a comic sidekick. And that's me. Um, you know, so like from, but in a weird way, Max, um, I felt it was, it was, uh, a way for me to pay back one of my, my good friends because uh i had been okay yes 2012 was a bad year but but i've had a lot of unfortunate situations uh you know in my life uh since meeting jason and um you know jason was not over. caused by meeting me not not caused by him i i'm just accident prone okay i'm accident prone i go hang out with father paul like like he said we had a a a mentor, Father Paul, I, I trip and I break my arm. The first person I called was uh, Jason because I did not want to panic my father and tell him that I just broke my arm. I said, Jason, I, 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 ju- I can't move my arm and I need you to talk to me for the next hour and a half or the next hour to, to, for me to not, for me to not lose my mind because I broke my arm. And he did. He stayed on the phone with me until I got, to my my house so I can get my insurance card because who walks who walks out the house with their insurance card in their wallet I didn't <laughs> um, so uh, the point here is that here's a guy who who took the time out of it he had, had a day of work he had a day of school he took his hour to calm me down before I went to a hospital to get a cast on my arm. So it was only appropriate that not appropriate. I'm sorry. I, I always, I always find the, the wrong words here, but um, I always wanted to pay Jason back for moments like that. You know, Jason um, Max, I, this is not the first time I try to collaborate with a friend. Um, and um, this is the, this is the only the only 
partnerships of, of a friendship that did not end in in total uh conflict and and ended friendship i gave him an idea we ran with it and here we are 12 years later with a production company i mean i w- there was never any discussion of how much are you going to pay me for this for this, for this dig, it was a mutual understanding between us that if if we work together, we're gonna create something, and eventually this is gonna grow into something big. Um, so yeah, I'm that. That's just my perspective. I, I was just trying my best to help Jason uh, through his crisis, and I didn't realize how much of a crisis it was until much later on, much much later on. So I was just a bystander in his story. <laughs> well, you were, and you were an important bystander, though. You know, you're going to make it into mm-hmm. the film, which you know puts you ahead of all the other bystanders, and right. even, you know, even more so ahead of the people who probably ignored him while this was happening. So you didn't find out right away, but once you did find out, um, can you talk a little bit about how that made you feel? about your yourself about Jason and your and your friendship I mean because I would imagine that you had just as much fear or concern as Jason did Max I'm sorry I, I, I once you transition it to me I was like I thought the question was going to Jason can you re-ask the question I'm sorry man um Okay, so we're gonna do take two, y'all. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Like I was I like, had to, I, I had was, to say it. I had I'm to say sorry. it because of, I had to say it because of the name of y'all's studio. You know, video That's right. take production. That's right. So take, I had to say take, take, take two. two. But no, the point is, is you ask the, the question. Yeah, I will. I will. The point is, is that um, even though you didn't know until quite a bit later, I'm curious. You know what? You know, what kind of, of fear and concern did you have about yourself or or Jason when you did find out? How did this affect you and your mental health? Um, that's a really, really deep question. Um, you know, I, I, I get paid good money to ask really deep questions. That was, that was a that was a really deep question. Um, okay. I, I was really concerned for him. Um you know, I was really upset that he could not attend his graduation because I I had helped him considerably get there. And I tried, I tried so hard, just, just go, just go. Why can't you just go? He's like, nah, man, nah. He wasn't, I don't think he was letting me in. Maybe he wasn't letting me in all the way. Um, it may have just been him, him not articulating it very well to me in the moment. Like, how do you articulate the fact that you're afraid to die and you're doing all these weird things? Maybe he was, uh, you know, felt I'd be judgmental, which, you know, occasionally i can come off as an as a bit of an asshole uh i've been told uh so i knew that that this was a big hinder in his life the fact that he worked his ass off and uh did not get to 
uh, celebrate uh, the way that he should have. And um, gosh, how many years later, Jason? Twenty seventeen. That was, was uh, twenty seventeen. Well, when was I graduated, fifteen. When years. I graduated, um, when I graduated, it was twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Okay, so five years later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So five years later, it, it's a recurring um, thing about our friendship. So five years later, Jason does the exact same thing that I, I did for him. Like he helped me graduate from from graduate school. And it, here's here's a here's a story. Um, I was in a relationship at the time, and um, you know I graduated in um, December of 2017. Um, you know, you try your best to, to work, work it out. And it was kind of known that, you know, she was going to get, we all, I was only going to get, um, four tickets to the graduation. So I was unfortunately in this relationship and I tried my best to make it, to, to make it work. And unfortunately, uh, it, it was not meant to be, I wish her, well, I I will not say anything negative about her. It just was not meant to be Max, and um, I it ended, and um, oh well, I got an extra ticket. Jason, you're coming to my graduation. Hell yeah! And uh, so. And you know what was funny too? It was it was in Nassau Coliseum, which was not far from Hofstra, where I, I had graduated right, right. from, from yeah, the yeah. So, right, right. <laughs> the place so, where I couldn't I couldn't go to graduation. I'm going to a graduation across the street. So I'm like, oh, does I go to my graduation? Okay, cool. I know the area. And, yeah. And uh, it was there. Max, it was the most surreal graduation I had ever been to. Because uh I did a lot of independent um work at at New York Institute of Technology. Uh, thank you to New York Institute of Technology for allowing me to take one class a semester on my own time. And I was able to do it, you know, but it was really surreal because I did not know any of my peers. Like I knew <laughs> no one, not a damn person in that, in that graduation did I know except for Jason, my parents and my brother. And um, <laughs> my mother turns to Jason and says, "This is your graduation too." And, yep. Yeah. So, so I tried. Some, some of these, some of these moments make it into the film or have already made it into the film. Uh, so I think now would be a good time for y'all to play the. Uh, okay. the trailer for the film. All right. And to drop the link if uh, if you can. Uh, either put it in the chat or if it's short enough, you can tell people what the link is to the crowdfunding campaign. Then we'll, we'll pick it up after y'all show the, the trailer. What we're going to do, this is a, a trailer, uh, not of the film, but it's a trailer of a crowdfunding campaign. Oh, that, so that it's we, a promo film. It's a so, promo. So that we could complete the film so we can, then third time that we come, we can play the trailer. <laughs> yep. 
We do not. You see, you see, mate. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we do not have enough footage for a trailer. So, so, you know, we're trying to raise money so that we can have footage for the trailer. So we come back for the third time. All right. So I'm going to share this. While he's getting that playing, I'm just going to mention that if there is a third time, it will be at the premiere, and we will do this the right way in person with actual cameras in somebody's studio. Hell yes. All right. Oh, yeah. All right. Jason is going to be doing audio description. Uh, whenever, you're ready, whenever you're ready, I'm going to just hit play, and Jason, yeah. uh, you go ahead. So there's a shot of a park. With hopscotch and a box that says OCD, and I'm doing playing hopscotch. Uh oh, I'm taking out a bat. Hit one. Hit two. Hit three. What the hit hell four. are you doing? I'm kicking OCD's ass. Oh, okay. I beat the crap out of helping me hit the box. Oh yeah! He kicked the box. Oh, I kicked the box. Hi, my name is Jason Figuera. I'm the director and co-producer of a brand new film called Hopscotch with My Brain. And I'm Anthony Saldana, co-director and executive producer of Hopscotch with My Brain. When I first started this film, my mission was to make something where people who had obsessive compulsive disorder could watch it and it could help guide them through their darkest moments with this mental illness. You know, as a longtime friend of Jason, I, one day I just wanted to hang out with him. I said, Jason, let's hang out. He said, no, I have OCD. And I just, I didn't get it. I said, what the hell are you talking about? Let's hang out. And uh, it wasn't until I saw the footage of him having a mental breakdown that I truly understand the sad symptoms of having obsessive compulsive disorder. I want to thank you, man, because your friendship was one of the few things that got me through such a dark time. Bro, we've been through a lot together. Broken bones. Chronic inflamed sciatica. Strained groin. And that's just Anthony. And remember, he's single, ladies. We've started this journey together, and we're going to finish it with your help. We are going to raise $15,000 to cover things such as production travel costs, production equipment expenses, and even paying my damn crew. Wait, even me? Yes, even you, Mr. Cameraman. See, you're going to get a paid gig out of this. We're going to do it. Hopscotch with my brain is going to be finished with your help. And... By the power of your donations, we are going to kick OCD's ass. Cut. Wait, are you guys brothers? No. No. Aaron, can you pick up 10 $500 okay. gift cards for the office bonuses and email back? All right. Yeah, so I'm, I, I have other questions, but I'm confused. Is... Is the cameraman's voice a third person or one of you two? No. It's a third person. That's a cameraman. Okay. All right. Well, I wasn't sure, man, because, you know, 
we are at the beginning of this project, not the end. I wasn't sure if maybe for the purposes of the trailer, one of you just one of you got behind the camera and said you were the camera guy. Okay, I just um. So you can it's, first, it's totally understandable to expect that from us. <laughs> I was just thinking about how I would have had to do it. That's all I'm thinking of. Um, and I also think about some of the great filmmakers of the of the 30s and 40s uh, who used to build sets, very uh, small, used to hire short actors so they could build smaller sets that used to make up just one side of the actors' faces and stuff like that. So, you know, it wouldn't be just you. It's probably the way I would have had to do it is all I was thinking. So uh, you have a link you can share with people other than uh, one we can put with the uh, with the show notes when this goes live? Yeah, we have a link, and we'll, we'll have that. Uh, we'll be able to share that with you. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Because some of those links are crazy long, and some of them are pretty short. So I wasn't sure if it was something that you could – you could tell people now, or would you just tell them to look in the notes and they'll see it later? I would just say look into the notes. I don't have it on hand right now. Okay, cool. Like I say, a lot of those URLs are kind of lengthy, so they're not the easiest thing to remember. But uh, we will definitely get that. We will definitely get that link for y'all because we need to raise the money so they can make the film. Uh, so let's talk about some of the things that you mentioned in the trailer that y'all are going to be using the money for. So uh if i remember from our conversation as, as well y'all would like to to start by purchasing some better equipment is that correct definitely i mean um you know one of the things we were thinking of was um kind of upgrading our cameras um because right now we are using sort of like a prosumer camera um we would like to upgrade to a camera that can hold um xlr microphones um we want to kind of update our sound equipment like our microphones um maybe invest a little more into our lighting um we definitely would like to um i would like to get a a more upgraded tripod because i definitely need one i'm using a sun pack right now from early 2000s this is this this is an early 2000s like uh photography tripod i'm using for my video camera right now and i would like to upgrade it to a soto uh, sorry a sony or a manfrotto um tripod um because i've used them in the field and they're pretty reliable i like them and um you know these are kinds these are the kinds of adjustments where it it just doesn't affect the quality of our film um it, it it does upgrade it but it affects the efficiency with how we're able to shoot and it kind of makes um, the overall production quality just that much better. Um, we already have in mind some of the equipment we wish to invest our money in. Um, and I've taken a look at some of the cameras available. And um, I found something a step above what we have. And these are the kinds of things we would like to invest in, in terms of equipment, especially with the shotgun mics. But because not- um, our shotgun our shotgun mics do pick up good sound, but you know if we can invest in something a bit sharper and we can clean up our audio a little more, we, that's what we're looking for too. Right, and we also like the the years of Jason and I doing shoots together by ourselves is over. Like we now have experience directing and producing crews. 
where it's time to get a really experienced uh, cinematographer to bring, uh, you know, to get, to get this film to where it should be. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then of course y'all have some, some travel planned. I understand there's at least a couple of people you want to interview and feature in the film that you're going to have to travel, to take care of that. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think in two different states, they live in two different states. So um, we would have to travel and get out there um, to, you know, not just interview them, but to also get footage of them um, as they, uh, you know, we, we want to show our characters in different situations. Some, you know, especially like I said, I wanted to include some of the religious aspect of this. Um, one of my subjects does have that feature um, with his story. So I want to get him maybe shots of him praying or doing something like that. And um, the other one lives out in Michigan. Um, so um, we would have to fly out there and meet with him. And, uh, you know, uh, like I said, not just interview them, but um, at one point he was hosting ping pong tournaments for um, to help um, combat OCD. And, um, you know, I'd like to go out there and play ping pong with him, you know, hopefully get that on, <laughs> footi- on footage, you know, um, to really give a vibrancy to not just our film, but their stories as well. Because their stories are re- like we did. We could have. Ch- there are, are millions of people with uh, um, OCD unfortunately in this country and we could have chosen anybody but these two uh men uh were telling their stories for a reason one one gentleman uh it's funny jason uh, like we had our like jason and i we argue a lot Uh, and when it comes when it comes to production we especially like the name of the film we argued about the name of the film and, and Jason for a long time was like, it's going to be called o- OCD diaries. And I said, all right, I'm going to look it up. OCDiaries.com. And it sent me to uh, Bill Brenner's website. I said, OCD diaries is not going to be the name of the film, Jason. And um, <laughs> when I, I looked throughout the website, it was a blog and I read the blog. I said, Jason, I, I think, we should invite this man, this uh, man, to be a part of our film because he he lost his brother, and uh, you know he has a journey very similar to Jason's, and he was up for participating, and it was actually a really a blessing, you know, that Jason said put it out there, OCD Diaries. I went to OCDDiaries.com. It sent me to our our next subject, so. That's really cool. And then uh, in addition to the equipment to record better video and audio to start with, and in addition to the expenses of traveling so you can include these people's lives in your film, there's also the cost of, uh, uh, in addition to the cinematographer, there's also the cost of the post-production. And there's equipment costs there, or there's, the cost of the time in other people's facilities and the expertise of people who specialize in editing and post-production. Is that correct? 
Uh, yes, and we're we're going to basically uh, because we're producers and we've been producers for a long time. We know how to stress the dollar, but you know it is possible. This fun- fundraising campaign is specifically for um you know finishing the production we may have to do another fun- fundraising campaign to uh you know do post production but uh right now we're just trying to get this film to the, the level of post production now uh i usually uh edit while we're we're film like while we're filming so uh i do have a decent rough um story structure so it would be wonderful to edit in a facility and and be able to get other editors' eyes on the project. Yeah, uh, I recently interviewed a fellow who recorded his audio book, and he put it out there. That he was looking for a really good studio to record his audio book in, and uh, because he had a background in music, he was invited to record his his audio book at the uh, Spielberg Ranch. So. Uh, so you know who knows maybe there's somebody in the new york area that has a studio that um would like to invite you guys there and be able to say that they were part of the project no that would be amazing yeah yeah, that would be completely incredible. yeah yeah so uh now y'all uh have created the crowdfunding campaign i have done a couple of those myself but i haven't been real successful at them can you tell me a little bit of how a crowdfunding campaign works? And uh, do you have to give people stuff when they give you money? Um, do they get their names in the in the in the reel or anything? How does all that stuff work? So for a hundred dollars, we'll put your name in the credits, right? Okay. Like for for over five hundred dollars, we'll make a video, right? We'll, we'll, we'll thank you in this video. If you, if you give a thousand dollars, congratulations! You you are now in the on, a, on the production team. You're a producer. Uh, if you, yep. if, if, you got top billing. Congratulations! <laughs> like you're a producer, and for our high end our high end donors, if if someone wants to give five thousand dollars or more. We will share our titles as co as executive producers because congratulations, you're you're one of us. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, and I know that we're we're working on the crowdfunding, but one other thing that I want to mention because I think this is also a way people can support you and this film is they can uh, do the do some paid screenings of your last film straight off the canvas brilliant segue my friend that's right the blind squirrel occasionally still can find an acorn so go for it straight off the canvas uh is a once again a film about blind artists here in new york city we we it's a a inspirational film about you know the fact that Blind people can produce, and they can also teach art. Uh, it is intrinsically therapeutic. We touch upon uh, art therapy as well as the importance of museums being accessible 
for all for all people with disabilities, not just people who are blind. Um, so basically, we are we would love to screen with your organization if you're watching. Um, just give us, you know, our, my email is straightoffcanvas at gmail.com. We have a pitch deck ready to go to send to you. Uh, and I'm looking forward to having this film uh, screened because, you know, it's timeless. Art is should be accessible and and art is uh the soul's expression of the world and you know so you know definitely contact us for a, a screening of the film right and an idea that just occurred to me i'm not saying you will do this or should do this but it occurs to me that when this film is finished that um it'd be a heck of a deal for people to be able to screen ordinary people straight off the canvas and hopscotch with my brain at at one location or event as a as a a way of not just being inspired but also seeing the wide variety of the groups you've presented and the work you guys are capable of doing. Yeah, and it would really be a, a an opportunity to see the growth that we've had as filmmakers. So. So um, I'm glad we got the, the mention of the crowdfunding. That will definitely be in the show notes. Y'all can ob- obviously get a hold of Anthony at uh, straightoffcanvas at gmail.com. And we'll, we'll make that easy for you to find, too. And if for some reason, uh, if, if for some reason you're, you're still having trouble, just use the contact form on my website, theblindblogger.net, and I will make sure that we get you in contact with Anthony and Jason, but I, I don't expect that to happen just in case though. Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about uh, the trailer itself. Um, could y'all talk a little bit about the making of the trailer, not just for, from the point of view of your project, but, you know, say you got somebody at home that's wanting to do a trailer for their, for their next book or for an album or, uh, for a course they've created. So talk a little bit about y'all's process for your video and then maybe some advice for people trying to create these things at home. Are you referring to the video that we played? I'm t- yeah, the video we played, the trailer for the crowdfunding campaign. Okay, so... Um, talk a little bit about y'all's process and what y'all, were, what y'all were thinking. There was two versions of the of that uh project the the initial idea was jason's um in terms of the hopscotch to the the bat and and that breaking the box that whole idea was jason's in terms of visually getting people but uh, it was a great stress reliever after a work week so i was like i needed something (laughs) to hit so i was like oh let's let me you're gonna come to the park and film me hitting something but the the speech itself was important and we really um Mm -hmm. Like I, I helped him a lot with the speech. Oh yeah. But then well, I, then I shared it to somebody, to a few people, and they said, "Where that? Where are you, Anthony? You should not be. <laughs> you should be in front of the camera because you are, you are 
so invested in this project that it's not just Jason's story. It's it's our story. And uh I was like, okay. So re take two. Uh we're we're in this together, Jason. Uh and that just involved getting a third person, uh a cameraman that while we're both on on set cuz you know that that was an important part of the process. Um, yeah, another thing that occurs to me is, did y'all have any trouble getting being able to record? Uh, you know, Jason beating wailing on this box in the middle of a park was that a difficult thing to get arranged? You know, it's funny you asked that because it wasn't anything with the park. Though we did get a lot of looks from people; they were noticeably concerned. Um, and the first one, somebody actually stopped us and he goes, uh, what are you guys doing? And we told them we're filmmakers. Oh, you're filmmakers. Oh, well, you know, my, I, I love watching movies and stuff. Oh, it went into this whole conversation and it was, it was funny. We're trying to work here. (laughs) Yeah. We're trying to work here, but he's like, oh man, you know, oh, you guys are shooting this for YouTube. Oh, this is brilliant. (laughs) And so um, we did get quite a few looks, but I, I will say on the second filming, we were working against Mother Nature because it was supposed to rain um, all day that day, and it was supposed yeah. to come down really heavy. Jason and, was like, let's let's stop. It's raining. I'm like, no, it's going to rain war- worse. We got to keep going. <laughs> yeah, I was I was hoping the rain would just pass over, but I kept praying, God, please hold the rain. And he did. Man, God held the rain, and I was like, "All right, I gotta pummel this box as fast as I can. <laughs> I gotta do my best work out here. Pummel it out, and let's go." Yep. Honestly, in terms of trailers, like if I'm working on a, if I'm directing a project, I'm not, I'm not directing the the trailer. My my brain sees the bigger picture. <laughs> like I, if I just directed a a one hour to an hour and a half feature, someone else is directing that trailer because I can't, <laughs> I can't. My brain cannot like think that, and, and that's okay, Max. It's all right. Like my brain can't go from an hour and a half story to ninety seconds to thirty seconds. I got to give it to somebody else to to hear some footage, make. <laughs> Help me, because I just put this film together. I'm not putting the trailer together. Now, you see, I wasn't even planning on going there, but you basically did what I talk about with people a lot, which is you say that you would have no problem asking somebody else for help to do something that you're not capable of, because in this case, you would be too invested in the long form of the movie. I think that's a an amazing point that I'm going to make sure to emphasize when we, when this goes live, because that's really important. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly what I was thinking when you said that, what is your advice for trailers? Hey, directors have someone else direct the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you don't understand when your brain is seeing these shots over and over and over again, you cannot see it in the context of a trailer like objectively so you have to let somebody else just make a decision and then you like oh okay i like it but that's just my jason may have a different answer but i that's how i feel well also to actually add on to what you're saying too um your trailer's got to stand out you know from everybody else's trailers that that they're going to have out there and you got to catch you got to capture an audience's attention within the first 30 seconds 
And like Anthony said, after you've been looking at that footage all the time, you don't want to keep looking at it to, to a point where it's like, oh man, I got to pick out like only a few shots to like really get an audience's attention in such a short amount of time. It really editing a trailer is is really an art form in and of itself, Absolutely. and there are people who master that art form, you know. And we have no shame in asking for their help. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And in fact, any really well-done film project is a collaboration of lots of talented people. Yes, always. Right. Now, I want to go back to a question I asked Anthony before we started recording, but he told me not to ask him until we were recording because he didn't want to ruin the effect. So I noticed in the film, in the trailer, you talk about being able to pay your crew, yeah. but you don't mention paying yourself for Anthony. So, you know, uh, I know that, you know, in business, they say one of the most important things creative entrepreneurs have to do is get to the point where they not only pay themselves, but believe they, have to and deserve to pay themselves so you know what what is it about uh you guys are you guys gonna make any money or is this you know well i'd like to make money yeah, <laughs> yeah. sorry i mean i don't think there's anybody questions. who would say no i'm not gonna make money out yeah <laughs> we like to make money out we're not gonna go into the details of that uh but um what I, what i will say is that in 2008 the summer of 2008, I was in a number of uh, television and film projects here in New York City. Uh, if you had a project and I was available, I was going to help you. Now, uh, a lot of these, majority of these projects, I was not paid for. Um, you know, okay, all the projects I was not paid for. Um <laughs> What happened next was really unfortunate because I I had a panic attack because my body just needed to sleep. My my mind was like, I'm going to the film set. And my body was like, you're going to sleep right now, regardless of, of what where you want to go. Um, so I always remember that. It, it really humbled me. Um, I always remember the experience of, I enjoyed being on a set, by the way, I, I, that's why I was there to help with the projects. But at the end of the day, I, I want my, if I'm the leader, a producer, director of, of a project, I want my, my crew to be happy. I want my crew to be fed. I want my crew to be paid so that they're motivated to come to do a good job for me. Um, because, you know, you need your, um, small set to be a happy, you know, environment and nothing says happy than a paycheck and a meal. (laughs) Um, you know, so I've had that summer. I mean, this was straight out. Well, this was straight out of college. Jason was like hanging out, uh, you know, after college, I don't know what he was doing that summer, but I was, I gained like really important, uh, lessons that I've learned, uh, that I still use to this day. Like, you know, the value of protecting your crew, you know, like a, a permit protects a crew. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you, if you don't get a permit, 
you know, someone <laughs> like if if you go to a film shoot with a gun and you don't tell your crew if this is a real gun or not, and a cop shows up on on set wondering if this is a real gun or not, and I don't know if this is a real gun or not. I had a panic attack, bro. I really did. But it's it was an important lesson that I had to just, first of all, not say yes to every project and be able to pr- protect your crew. Because, you know, I I think that's important. So that's that's why I wanted to say that. Um, this is what I wanted to say on, uh, on camera because I, I think that it's, it's important as a director uh, to be able to respect your crew. Um, if I work for you, put me in the credits. Like, so what? I had a panic attack and left your your set. I had a panic attack because I worked harder on your set, and you didn't put me in the credits. You know who you are. You didn't put me in the credits. <laughs> You know what I did? I went to IMDb and I went on your movie and now I'm on the IMDb credits of your movie. So I was a production assistant on your movie, sir. And now I'm credited in IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> but you but you did make an important point there that um a lot of business people really do struggle with. I struggle with it myself sometimes is uh, you have to know when to say no. And that's a that's one of the most difficult skills to learn as an entrepreneur, or creative or otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I got if I. If no, I, I loved it. I think I think I the am, audience will love it too because it was I, real. I am. I was bitter for a very long time. A very long time I was bitter, and then I just realized IMDb. You could just add yourself as. as <laughs> So. By the way, just for fun, if anybody wants to wants to check IMDb under my, under Max Ivy, they'll find my dad's name because he was in oh, four, okay. he was in four movies with the Royal HB Studios. So if y'all are, if y'all see my name on on IMDb, it's not me; it's my dad. Okay, yeah. just well, just in case somebody oh, just okay. in case somebody ran across it. Yeah, he was in. Nice. Yeah, he was oh. in. Er, yeah, Earl Earl was known as the king of the B movies, so none of these movies were movies you would have ever seen. At least I don't think so. They could be wrong. You think about what I just said. <laughs> I could be uh, wrong. Yeah. So I'd like to finish by giving you each of you a chance to to talk about something that's uh, part of your lives away from film. And I, I think I have the the right areas here. I was wanting to give uh, Anthony. I was wanting to give you a little chance to talk a little bit about your improv and if you can maybe that. tie that back to the film work, that'd be cool, but not necessary. And then. Jason, I'd like to hear a little bit more about uh, progress on your graphic novel since the last time I talked to you. Wow. All right. Jason, you want to go first? Sure. Um, In terms of my graphic novel, um, I'm currently enrolled in a mentorship um, with a professional comic book writer. And um, he's helping me to write my script for my graphic novel. I've hit about I would say um, almost 200 pages so far for the script. And um, I am in the process now of trying to get some character sketches done. And um, also maybe the, you know, a rough draft of the first 10 pages 
of this comic book because I'm thinking of either releasing it in one lump sum or um, releasing it as a weekly series, um, 10 pages a week. Um, so it's very, it's a very interesting time for me because, um, last time we had talked, I think I was talking about how I wanted to get into comic book writing. And now I'm having a really hefty script on my hands and, um, it's becoming a reality slowly, but surely it's, it, it is becoming a reality. And, um, a lot of the, uh, characters I write, you know, I, I think really independent filmmaking has helped me develop stronger characters over the years, a lot stronger than when I was going to college. Um, I think it was great to have this real world experience and to get out there and meet more people. And it just helped me to write dialogue, especially in my, with writing my dialogue, it really strengthened my skills and um, how people, you know, recording how people write, how characters may feel or think or approach a situation. Um, so this has been a, a wonderful journey. And um, sooner or later, I'm going to start trying to get this thing published because um, I'm looking either to publish in an outlet like Heavy Metal Magazine or um, one, of the, one of the other independent comic book producers Vault, like Vault Comics um, or maybe even one day Dark Horse. Um, but this is, I think this is a great novel I'm working on. It's a great first step into a field, um, I've never been in before. And I gotta say, it's one hell of a journey, man. Um, I can't wait to see, um, what they do with my, I can't wait to see my characters drawn on a page. Okay. Just a couple of questions. One, I'm a big fan of graphic audio. So have you considered audio dramas of your graphic novel uh, either as part of your your publication or as maybe a way to get it pub- published? Yes, absolutely. Cool. And then the second thing is, is have you considered going back to some of the artists in straight off the canvas and seeing if maybe one of them could contribute some of this artwork? Because I think that would be a really cool tie back in. I do too. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, like if I could... Um, maybe ask like Elizabeth to do like a cover art for my comic book. That'd be cool. You know? Okay. And then you, Anthony. Um, so I, I am a part of a improv group, uh, New York city called, uh, metamorph. Uh, we had been rehearsing online, uh, just virtual improv for uh, about two years um our amazing le- leader uh decided that you know wanted to take a break from improv and she resigned from the team uh that only left three of us left and um we came together as a team and we decided that we were we still loved working with each other and we wanted to continue to improvise so we had the task of um re you know, starting a brand new team with the same name and the same goal to do dramatic improv in New York City. Uh, that was in January. So basically, uh, we had uh, auditioned about five really talented improvisers, really talented actors. Uh, and 
you know, we put together the team and, um, basically in January, my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, it was, it was terminal. Uh, my mother, I knew we've had conversations before at Max and we just, she, I knew that she was not whenever she'd get that news that she was not going to fight. So, um, I took an extended leave from my improv group to, uh, grieve. And, uh, I would say the improv helped me to get, uh, help my mental health to uh laugh to to laugh because I was not laughing that week um and I call um so anyway um when I returned to the group I by the way I'm the leader of the group I'm the producer uh I got to basically um like manage the team the uh our wonderful director uh decided that she could not direct us anymore and, and it was it was time because we we were tired of, we were tired of uh rehearsing virtually and uh we we were now in person and now i produce not only do i produce films i produce theater uh i i book the rehearsal space and uh i also uh managed my team um and we we're we're booking um you know live theater and at the same time because our director resigned i have to now audition directors cuz i there's no way i could direct and act at the same time i could direct and act no not act but i could direct myself in a documentary but there's no way I'm directing actors while performing with actors. That's a conflict of interest. So um, that isn't the answer I would have come up with. I would have thought of it just a matter of processing. But that's an interesting way of looking at it. That it would be a conflict of interest in your mind to be directing a group of of actors that are specializing in improvisation, yeah, and be part of the improvisation at the same time. That's a right. A very, I cannot. Look, if we're doing an improv scene, I cannot give you notes about what you did bad because I'd have to give myself notes. And it just, it makes it really, uh, difficult for the, the actor to be acting with me and because I'm the one who's going to be giving the notes. So it has to be a set, uh, a person who's not on the stage that can look at the complete picture to be able to one to, to direct. So. I'm having a blast with that. Um, as I said before, improv has really um, helped with my mental health over the last uh, nine months. Um, so, and any chance, any chance we're going to be, or people in New York are going to be able to see y'all in person anytime soon? Yes. <laughs> uh, my improv group, uh, Metamorph, we are doing our first in-person show that we're, that's our show. Uh, that's going to be January 7th at Young Ethel's in Brooklyn. Uh, so I want to be uh, producing live theater 
and it's really it's really a, a fun journey um because i i just love the art form i it has uh i've met so many great creative people and it it's very free it's a freeing art form because all you have to do is get on is have a conversation with someone and agree with what they're saying and just have some fun so um yeah i'm looking really forward to to the future with my improv team that's exciting just be sure and and send me some tickets and a plane ticket when y'all do broadway okay oh yes y'all make it up y'all make it into the manhattan district y'all give me a call okay all right um so i have i have one last question and then i want to give uh jason some time to tell people the important things about obsessive compulsive disorder in general and about people who are living with someone going through it. Um, You know, I started this show singing my, my new song that I wrote called, you know, uh, called what's your excuse. And, you know, several times during this conversation, it's come up, you know, well, people told, told you, Anthony, I told you, Jason, you know, get over it, just do it. So for somebody like you, should I be concerned that my theme song is offensive, that it's causing people anxiety? No, it doesn't cause anxiety. I love listening to it. It's, you know, honestly, I mean, it's not offensive at all. I mean, it's really motivating when you say it. It's different when a doctor tells you, oh, yeah, I'm going to sit you down for therapy. So the therapy is just do it. And you're paying that person. Hearing someone on, on the radio saying, Oh, yeah, you guys can do it. That's motivational. Yeah, that's fine. That's great. (laughs) I just wanted to check because a while back I had a gentleman of color reach out to me and he said something to the effect of I had no way of understanding his real challenges and I really should stop telling people that. uh, I really should stop asking people what's their excuse. So I figured I would ask you because it seemed like an important question and as I, as I tell people all the time, when I do these recordings, I often ask questions mainly because Max is curious or, or nervous about the, uh, the answer. So I appreciate that. That helps me a lot. Yeah, well, you got to remember, Max is a great listener, you know. Uh, so for all you guys watching out there, you know, Max listening to your story and talking to you about it, it really makes a difference, you know. So it's not offensive in the slightest. <laughs> All right, I appreciate that. And then just uh, some thoughts on OCD, what it is, what it ain't, and some of the, some of the ways we can help people who are living with it because it is a is a very challenging uh, disease to uh, to be living with. Sure. Well, some of the basic points I picked up was that everybody, in a sense, has a form of uh, obsessive compulsion um, that they do or a ritual that they do. But we have to remember that there's a third factor, which is disorder. And it does not become a disorder until it starts interfering with your life. Um, That's the number one thing to remember. Um, And we also have to remember that there's a reason why it's an anxiety-based disorder. Um, A lot of rituals and things like that, when people with OCD are doing them, and it's important for people around them to remember we know it's ridiculous. We know how it looks. We know what's, what it is. But really, our battle isn't with against the anxieties or even 
the thoughts that provoke our anxiety. Um, when I was going through OCD, this is one of the battles I had. I was trying to fight my intrusive thoughts about death. But the truth is, you can't fight a thought. Um, if I tell you not to think about a pink elephant, you're going to think about it anyway. And the fact is, is that um, what I learned in, be in behavioral therapy is that's okay. You have to let that thought happen. Your real enemy is the anxiety that comes after that thought. It's that feeling of anxiety. And anxiety has never killed anyone. And, right. so, all, and so behavioral therapy, the most important thing is to ride that anxiety out. It depends. It varies from person to person. There are some people who it'll take maybe more than a year to um, wrestle with their anxieties and ride it out. But throughout the therapy, you're graphing. You know, you are asked to make a little graph or a chart of your anxieties. And as time progresses, and this is, was in my case, as time progressed, the chart the line on the chart got lower and lower and lower and lower every time I confronted it. And one, one thing I would also say about OCD, and I think this also extends into other mental illnesses is there can be relapses, you know, they can happen. Um, I, I had one myself and um, it was, it was a few years ago and I, I was surprised because I was like, I thought I was getting better, but do not give up. Do not give up. Relapses do happen. Um, but I think as any therapist would tell you, um, the important thing is to continue practicing what they're giving you. And um, in terms of medication, medication is also a help too. Um, but I think what also what was such a blessing for my, um, psycho my psychiatrist was he also believed in um, strong religious groups that help people through their times. I think really what he was trying to emphasize was how much, how important it is to have a support network of people. And we think about people who are, you know, especially living in New York city, you see people who are homeless and suffer from mental illness. And a lot of the times they don't have that support network, you know, and how much having a support network in place can really impact someone positively who is trying to receive treatment from their mental illness. And maybe that support network is, is just you and it's tough, you know, but I think the important thing to remember is one, it has a name. Your mental illness has a name. And um, two, it really, it, it can be fought. It can be fought against. And, Three, I'll, I'll say this, um, with OCD, it can be very tricky. And for people who are taking care of someone with OCD, this is a little trick. OCD can be very clever because some of the things that you do to, you know, maybe avoid your rituals or some, even some of the things that you do, um, you know, maybe even some of the parts of your therapy you know, it can ingrain rituals from that too. So you have to kind of be careful. It's kind of clever in how it acts and how it springs up. But um, I would say most of all, that person who is suffering with OCD or another mental illness, um, 
never underestimate the importance of your companionship. Um, I had a friend, I would like to say, I'd like to leave off with this. I had a friend who experienced something, you know, uh, an emotional breakdown and he was taken to a psych ward and I went in and this is while I was receiving treatment at Mount Sinai. And I went into the psych ward and I got to tell you, um, there was one word to describe the atmosphere and it was a sense of hopelessness. There's like, there was no escape from it. And it was, it was there in the air. I could feel it and it's tough, you know, but um, I think the fact that your companionship and your light and your friendship with someone or your bond with them is one of those things that will see them through that time. One thing, one thing that Jason uh, asked me, because as you as you may know, we we travel. Uh, we used to travel a lot together uh, when we were younger, and uh, we every summer uh, from like two thousand nine to twenty thirteen, we were traveling, and um, so we were getting pretty close to the summer. And uh, Jason said, I know where we're going this summer. We're going to Atlanta. We're going to an OCD conference. And um, I said, I'm in. And um, I think that was the moment where it was like an aha. What have I gotten myself into? (laughs) So that was no, no. It was an aha moment of okay, did, like you're gonna spend like an entire weekend learning about OCD, meeting people with OCD. Uh, I remember very specifically there was a a lecture that we had filmed, and um, they started the lecture by saying, "Guys, there's a camera here. Uh, it's not gonna be broadcast, but your voice is gonna be on camera." And, uh, one by one, like they all, like they had a lineup of patients telling their story and I was shocked. Um, uh, I was shocked about the irrational fears that, that the patients had and, uh, the things that they were doing to calm the fears. It was, it was shocking. Um, to the point where I said, Jason, I'm, I, I have to leave. Like, I am, I am done. He's like, where are you going? I said, I need to leave this room. Um, but it was important for me to have been in that room to understand the audience, our audience, to understand what in because i'm i'm just i'm just the uh, i'm just the friend i'm just the supporter and it was very um enlightening it was it was uh sad it was overwhelming and you want to provide them with support and you just want to be like okay sir like let let's I know you're on camera, like I know that your voice is on camera i and you you know the the doctors that were at the you know counseling them 
and they only had a certain amount of time had basically said, it's important for you to find support and to get therapy in your hometown. And thank you for coming to uh, share your story with us. Um, it was, it was overwhelming. Uh, I'll just say that Jason, like I, I did not expect, I did not expect, do you remember um, some of the stories that was in that room? Or, or um, there were, I, 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 rem- I remember some, I mean, I don't remember them verbatim, you know, I remember them um, verbatim. one ver- very much verbatim. I'm not going to repeat it here. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not coming out of my mouth, but it was, it was shocking, Max. <laughs> well, I imagine it is. It's, uh, it's, it's always shocking when we, when we go into areas that we're not familiar with and even yeah. more so when it has something to do with, with mental health like this. So, I want to thank you guys for uh, for your friendship, for the opportunity to work with you in the past, and, and also to help draw attention to the current film project and to the crowdfunding campaign. And I really appreciate y'all coming back on What's Your Excuse, and I look forward to, to doing this in person, as we talked about earlier, when the film is uh, being shown. Because I, I have a friend in Brazil who's like, Max, someday... One of us is going to walk the red carpet when that happens. I want to be your plus one. So even if I have to pay for the red carpet, man, we're going to have some damn red carpet at y'all's premiere of this movie. You're damn right we are. No pandemic. Oh, yeah. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Very welcome. Okay, so we had another great conversation with my friends Anthony and Jason. Uh, been happy to have gotten to see their progress as filmmakers and to be part of the effort to get the word out about the work they're doing. First with straight off the campus about the visually impaired, how we can create, teach, and appreciate art. And this latest one that they're working on that hopefully will be out soon, the uh, playing hopscotch with my brain about the obsessive compulsive disorder and uh, Jason's experiences with it. And then also the way it's affected Anthony and the other people around him. And I have no doubt that they're going to share a lot of great information with people, but do it in a uh, method of storytelling. That's going to keep people interested, entertained and sitting on the edge of their seats, waiting to see where the story goes next because they aren't really good storytellers. And this whole story of living with and overcoming OCD uh, and just dealing with the, the general difficulties of life, uh, overcoming anxiety in general. So I appreciate that we've been friends that come on the podcast twice now. And a couple of things that they did talk about was learning how to say no protecting your crew, which in most of our cases means protecting our team or our family, making sure things are done right so they aren't put in harm's way or their livelihoods or their personal safety isn't put at risk. 
you know, uh, talking about the power of friendship and companionship and how while you may not be able to see it, you're regularly taking the time to talk to somebody who is living with anxiety, mental health, or OCD in particular can be the one thing that keeps them going. It allows them to continue to struggle and to work on themselves and to follow whatever advice they're getting from their doctors, their priests, the preachers, their therapists, the religious leaders. You know, it's uh, very important that our community, our circle of friends is one of the things y'all have heard me talk about over the years a lot, the whole idea of, you know, we have to be willing to let people be part of our journey and not just during the really cool times, but especially during the difficult, challenging times. So I really appreciate them mentioning that as well. I think those are all very important points. And also that we can all do a better job of communicating our struggles with people around us, with our closest friends, our family, with the people that we work with or that our supervisors, you know, just the people that we know that our lives impact on, we can all do a better job of communicating with these people, including myself. So a lot of great lessons there. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Uh, again, you can find them at twitter.com slash hopscotchwbrain. I will have the link to their crowdfunding campaign. I'll also give you the link to their Facebook page and we'll get some information on how you can screen their other films straight off the canvas because just like contributing to this crowdfunding campaign will help them buy the equipment and travel and, and hire the people they need to hire to make a great movie, um, celebrating and appreciating their previous movie by having a screening for your organization or your group or your school or possibly even using it as a teaching tool in institutions where they train teachers and instructors of people with disabilities or at uh, facilities that try to encourage and inspire us people with disabilities. So I hope y'all will check that out as well, and I will make sure you have the link. Uh, before I finish, I want to remind you again to check out my sponsors, Blueberry.com for podcast hosting and createmyvoice.com for your voice branding strategy so people can find your blog, website, or podcast on Alexa, Google, and Siri. Definitely check both of those people out. And these next few companies, they are not sponsors, but they're people who make products or services that I appreciate and have benefited from. And I hope you will check out some of them. The links in the show will be affiliate links, so if you visit their website or buy something from them, then I could receive a reward either financially or uh, in, the, in the form of social media shares or possibly even some cool gear. And I don't want to get in trouble like the Kardashians did for not uh, disclosing that these are affiliate links. So uh, first up is Dano's Seasonings. Thanks to them and the fact that they make these great seasonings that are uh, low sodium, no salt, gluten-free, all organic. They've allowed me to give my brother Patrick the, the ta gift of good taste, and he's an arrhythmia survivor, so he really was challenged with finding good-tasting food. Uh, less annoying CRM, which is 
client retention management, uh, an app I use to help me keep track of the podcast, the work I do booking people on podcasts, uh, outreach to people for business opportunities for myself, my friends, and my clients. And it really does make it a lot easier for me to keep track of those things. It's accessible. It's simple. It's really cheap at $15 per user per month. So check them out. Less annoying CRM. There's crystalcreekorganic.com. They have provided me with CBD products over the last couple of years. And while the CBD allowed me to continue to get work done between knee pain and back pain, and now combining that with regular physical therapy, I'm making a lot of important progress. And I'm sure it's going to pay dividends with more energy and more passion for my work going forward. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else I want to mention. I know there's at least one. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the ways that I make support myself is through booking people on podcasts. And one of the places I find most looking for guests is a website called podmatch.com and it's free to join. It's set up with artificial intelligence to match people based on their profiles. just like a dating site, either hosts looking for guests or people that want to be guests looking for hosts and it's free. They also offer some premium options that give you more features, but you can, uh, make a lot of progress on that website if you're looking to grow your reputation and get more exposure by doing podcast interviews. And the owners over there, Alex and Alicia Sanflip, are great friends of mine. They've been mentors of mine and have uh, been very supportive of me and my podcast and all the other things I've been up to. So hope you will check out podmas.com. Uh, you can always find me at theblindblogger.net. That's theblindblogger.net. Uh, you can find my podcast and all the other shows hosted by people with disabilities on the What's Your Excuse Network at wyexcuse.com slash shows. And, of course, you can always tell Alexa or Google to play What's Your Excuse. Until next time, I hope that uh, you're doing well and taking care of yourselves and your families. And uh, please let me know if there's anything I can do to help y'all out. Take care now. Goodbye. If I can do it, what's your excuse? What's holding you back or what's stopping you? Go on and do it, but what's there to lose? If I can do it, what's your excuse?